CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Friday in Options Action. I'm Melissa Lee, live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. The markets tumbled today after a better-than-expected jobs picture left investors worrying the Fed will keep the rate pedal to the metal. If we're not fully seeing the Fed succeed in the labor market, we may see it in earnings results beginning next week with the banks. We'll get help you uh, get set up there. And while the Fed impact in large caps is one thing, the consequences are amplified in small caps. But there are ways to dampen the noise with options. Joining us tonight, Carter Worth, Mike Coe, and Bono and Eisen. First, before trades, uh, let's get uh, quick thoughts on this week from all of you, since it has been a roller coaster week. Carter Worth, what'd you make of it? Well, I think there's uh, there's that expression when you're hoping, it's hopeless. I think there's <laughs> this hope somehow that we're going to not break below the June lows, and I don't see that at all. I think we're going to break. We are breaking, and we break substantially. Mike? Yeah, I, I, I think we still have more concern ahead. You know, if you were just taking a look at how we did week over week, you'd say, oh, we're up a little over one and a half percent since last Friday. But none of the situations that we were talking about then have really gone away. If anything, uh, there's more evidence now, I think, that uh, central bankers should continue to persist to try to fix the inflation problem. And one of the things I think people tend to focus a lot of their time and attention on, which is sort of the headline um, inflation number at any given moment. So what's the PCE deflator today? What's the CPI deflator today? Rather than just sort of taking a look at aggregate prices and where those stand relative to incomes versus, you know, say two and a half years ago. And if you look at things that way and you say, wait a minute, housing's up 65%. Most agricultural commodities are up anywhere from 20 to 100%. Um, if you Look at it in that in that sense, metals and everything else. I mean, it, it doesn't look good. You have to get these things back in line, unfortunately. And rates in a historical context are not high here. That's something else we have to remember. Right. Uh, you know, it, it is amazing to think that over the course of the week, with all the volatility that we've seen and all the sort of the changes and thinking and the hopes and the hopes dashed, that we actually ended the week higher, um, pretty solidly higher, Bono. <laughs> and I'm wondering how, how you think that gets us set up going into earnings season. Earnings season where we have an AMD warning overshadowing us. We saw terrible action in AMD today um, and, and FedEx as well. You know, I think, um, I think there's a few things. So I think there was some shorts that were squeezed. And that's why you saw like the exacerbated moves to the upside that we saw earlier in the week. Um, and then going into earnings, I think there is still, I mean, you, you, the reason why we see these knee-jerk moves is that there's still this underlying feeling that the Fed has this credibility problem. And let's take me, for example. The last time I got chastised for calling back someone on set, I learned my lesson and you don't do it again. I think the Fed has been chastised enough where they get it now and, and they are being extremely transparent about what they are going to do. They continue to be you know, data-driven and their approach has been very well signaled. And yet and still, you still see these bucks to the trend in the market. I think this earnings season, you might actually start to see a little bit 
of the, the read-through or the, the trickle-down effect of what the Fed has been doing. And now the posture is starting to change. So I, I do think, yes, perhaps we're up, well, I guess, a percent, a percent and a half. But I really don't think that tells a story. The, in, the, the intra-week volatility is really where the focus should be, not the absolute number from, from Monday. All right. Well, it is that time again, and it could be more important than ever. Of course, we're talking about earnings season, which you mentioned, kicking off next week with the big banks. The group has struggled this year alongside the broader market. The XLF is down more than 20 percent. Chartmasters digging into where the sector could be headed next and how that could set the tone uh, for the season here. Carter? That's right. We've got uh, 15 stocks in the S&P reporting. Uh, Half of them are financials. Let's get right to the charts. The first is a weekly chart of the XLF. That's the ETF that tracks the sector. Of course, the sector is not just banks. You've got property and casualty insurers, broker-dealers, asset managers. But what we know is that the sector is all the way back to its pre-COVID high. And the line drawn there is that support. The thing about support is you get down to support and then you can sink further into support. I think presumptively that's what happens. Look at the next, uh, it's a two panel. Now that top is exactly what we just saw on its own, but the bottom panel is relative performance. Now that relative performance of the S&P, the financial sector peaked right after the election in 2016 has been underperforming ever since. Not so good. Um, XLF itself, here and now, up close and personal charts. There's one. No lines or drawings, no arrows. Look at it with some annotations. Pretty epic inverted cup and handle. Doesn't matter what you call it, it projects lower. Other iteration, same chart. It's a descending uh, triangle. It's a wedge. It all points to lower. The question is, does the XLF find support because it's at the COVID highs. It's at support. I think we'll sink further into support. Sink further into support. So, Mike, what is the trade base on that? Yeah, I mean, the volatility that we saw this week and that we have been seeing, unsurprisingly, is also impacting options premiums. And so they are all considerably elevated. And as you would also expect, options premiums are going to rise as we start seeing events like earnings coming up, and that's going to impact the price of options on the individual stocks as well as it is on uh, indices of which they are constituents and the ETFs that trade them, like XLF. I think one of the things we could do here to try to take advantage of those elevated options premia and anticipating that it's unlikely that next week and the week following are, are going to provide Uh, the needed boost to get XLF actually to bounce off this support level here. I was looking at the November 32-33 call spread, selling that. Uh, When I was looking at that earlier today, you could collect about 38 cents in premium for that $1 wide spread, uh, very nearly 40% of the distance between uh, the strikes, which is uh, attractive. And the other thing I would point out is that in the event that it does somehow miraculously bounce off of whatever we hear next week uh, from all of the companies that are going to be reporting, you will not lose the full dollar, even if it runs through that uh, longer 33 strike that you have to the upside. So it's not exactly that you are risking 60 cents to make 40, uh, provided that you cover this if you do get a strong bounce. But that is obviously not what I'm anticipating here. Bono, and what's your take on financials in the trade here? Yeah, I'm, I think they're, they set up for a pretty challenging framework going into earnings. Um, you know, I, I like the trade. You know, I think your net, net shorting volatility, which I like going into a, a bounce and vol like we've seen today, 
And you know what? The fact of the matter is that markets can remain irrational longer than we can remain solvent. I think that upside call where you're covered on a pretty tight strike limits your, your, your risk in terms of a short squeeze there. Yeah, Mike, you know, it's it's always tricky with the banks because a bulk of them report on the same day, but then there are stragglers afterwards. So how, how do you anticipate managing the trade? Because most of the time they move in a group on the back of the first ones out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, uh, that that's exactly right. I mean, you've got basically the premier name, which is J.P. Morgan, I think. If we're thinking about investment banking, we're thinking about trading also in terms of commercial banking. I mean, that's basically number one. Uh, BlackRock and Morgan Stanley on the asset management side. I mean, it's hard to imagine that the numbers could be all that great when you have declining asset prices. After all, their revenues are tied directly to their AUM, and that has been declining just as a function of declining market prices, although some of the most recent declines aren't going to show up in the reported quarter, but presumably, you know, people are going to look at that. They're going to factor that in. I'm not really anticipating any of the stragglers in terms of reporting to, you know, release any information that's going to be new. I think we're going to need we're going to find out what we need to know um, by the end of uh, next week. Yeah. All right. Well, large caps are one thing. Small caps could arguably feel the impact of economics and Fed policy faster and more intensely than any other part of the market. In fact, they already have in one direction. That's why Bono is taking a look at the other direction. Bono, and what are you doing? Yeah, I'm taking a look at the IWM. So a lot of weakness has been attributed to, to currency exchange rates and, and, and weakness abroad. And I really want to, I think the focus is going to shift from Fed policy and monetary policy to economic health, to actual earnings health. And what I want is a more levered beta play to do that. So if you still are, you know, constructive in terms of S&P or Dow or some other large, large cap bellwether name, I actually want to have something that gives me a little bit more tail risk in the form of IWM. So I'm taking a look at the IWM Nove 160, 150, one by two put spread. And you can put that on for even money, depending on where you are in the middle of the day. And what I like here is that this is real tail risk. So when you see shocks to volatility like you've seen today, it's not often at the at the money. It's how you think those tails are going to flex. And yes, in the a crazy case where we're down net net 50%. This trade is challenging. But between down 10% and down almost 20%, this trade is profitable. You, there's no cash outlay to put this on. And this really gives you that crash protection that I think if you're going to see, you'll likely see it in this more sensitive pocket of the market. Do you see a crash in the cards for IWM, Carter? Well, remember, the conventional wisdom is, right, that lower quality assets in a route do worse than higher quality assets, right? There are no small cap utilities, for instance. But the point is that um, if if you're playing beta, you play it through certain vehicles, and IWM is a higher beta. Now, at the same time, again, it has no currency risk, right? Uh, Bonwin mentioned the macro. It has its domestic, and it, it really gets down to earnings. I would also point out that bank exposure in the Russell 2000 is much higher than it is in the S&P 500. So it, it's got a lot of characteristics that have to be contended with. Um, it is also, and finally this, important to say that since May, Small cap stocks have been consistently outperforming large cap. Now, it's not a function of the Russell 2000 going up. It's just going down less than the big heavies because Apple and others are starting to come apart. Right. So to come, your semi-setup, how to play the chip space as the already beaten down sector continues to head south. And for everything Options Action, check out our website and newsletter. There's more Options Action right after this.
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Check out AMD plunging to a new 52-week low today. The chipmaker delivered disappointing preliminary results for the third quarter, saying it expects revenues to fall short of its prior forecast. Investors don't seem to think this will be an isolated scenario either. Fellow semiconductor stocks NVIDIA and Intel also fell sharply in today's session. But fear not, because these chipmakers' pain could be your gain. Mike Coe is here to show uh, show you how to turn out turn a choppy outlook for the semi-space into smooth sailing for your portfolio. Captain Mike, take it away. Captain, I like that. Uh, I'll have to share that with some other people. Um, so <laughs> this is an interesting situation, right? Because the semis as a group are down about 40 percent uh, since their highs earlier this year, significantly more even than the S&P has declined. And, you know, if you think that so bad, it's good, you might then take a look at how the co- how all of these companies are looking relative to their trailing and their originally forecast earnings. And If we look back about 20 years on a multiple basis, the semiconductors as a group are trading pretty close to their cheapest valuations. But one of the things I would point out, and I think it's important for people to remember this, is that cyclical businesses often do look cheapest uh, right before things turn south. And that is because people are still working with their operating assumptions for how these businesses were going to do. And those are what's changing. And that's essentially the news that we got out of AMD. And that's what we're seeing priced into some of these other stocks. That said, it's exceptionally challenging to try to press shorts when you're looking at a group of stocks that are already down 40%. So how do you do that? In this case, I was looking out to December and I was looking at a 185.55 put spread. When I was looking at that, that's a $30 wide put spread that cost about $7.63. That's about 4% of the current price of SMH as a way to make a bearish bet. We are in a situation where we certainly could see further dips. Uh, I don't think we're going to resume bull market anytime soon personally. But if we do even just get a sharp bear market rally, which is certainly a significant possibility in every bear market, and we've already seen it several times in this one, uh, you want to limit your risk. And I think by risking just 4% of the current uh, ETF share price, uh, that's a way you can do this. How does SMH look to you, Carter? Well, they're heavy, and I think they're going to get worse. Let's look at three charts. They're all the same time frame. So the first just simply depicts where the SMH is in relation to its pre-COVID high. The S&P would need to drop 6% to get to its pre-COVID high. Uh, For the SMH, it's 19%. Now, if we want to draw some lines on this, the first way to do it would be like that, which is converging trend lines. We've broken to the downside out of that formation. And again, I think it all projects to the pre-COVID high, so substantial uh, down from here. And then uh, the third and final way to draw the lines, it's all the same chart, is just to annotate, to depict the importance of the reversal doesn't matter whether you call it a head and shoulders, it's a massive uptrend that reversed. And the question, is the reversal finished? I don't think so. I think there's more downside. Bono, are you in the same camp? I am. Um, you know, it's, it's a little expensive. Um, I, I want to focus on the, the width of the strikes here. If you're going to lean into this, 
you might as well make sure that you're going to get your bucks worth here. And that's exactly what Mike has done. I think if, this, if there's more downside, it's really going to roll over heavy, as Carter said. And I think the width of strikes allows you to capture the bulk of that move. Yeah. Uh, Mike, last word here. I'm just wondering how you manage a trade, especially when it looks like, you know, when stocks are swept up, we, we go to the downside pretty decisively. <laughs> Such volatility in the markets these days. Um, so how do you manage this one in terms of the wild swings? Because when we had the two big up days, semiconductors had huge rips to the upside. Right. And I think that's why we're sort of defining our risk at the outset to 4% of the share price. Certainly, if you're going to short SMH, it would be very reasonable to say that the risk you're taking, if it should move to the upside, is going to be significantly larger than that. But actually, speaking to Bonowin's point, one of the reasons why I chose strikes this wide is because I wanted to have a trade that I would be able to manage if we do start to see things roll over. Because we know there can be these bear market rallies. Let's say it drops down to 175, 170. You can take that 185 strike that you're long and roll that down, keep the short side on, and essentially reduce your exposure if we do get a bear market rip. And those happen, they have happened, and they will continue to. Up next, we are getting rapid fire takes on a number of big movers from this week. Always back in two. Welcome back to Options Action. It's been a wild week on Wall Street, so we're going to tackle some of the biggest names in an options rapid fire session. A lot of these names were very, very actively traded this week in the options pits. First up, Twitter. Got to go to that one, right? Shares jumping after Tesla CEO Elon Musk said he would buy the social media company for his original bid. A lot of back and forth since the news broke. But, Mike, what are your observations here? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Right after that news came out, what we saw was a lot of the ARBs coming in doing the traditional risk ARB trade, which is a buy right, buying the stock selling calls up near that strike price, close to where the deal is supposed to take place. But as the week rolled on, we started seeing more bearish activity. People were buying, for example, the January 50-40 put spread. I think the attitude here is Elon tried to walk away from this deal when things look a lot better than they do now. Then he wanted out, basically, of the court case that was ongoing. He got that objective. And right now, I think the options market is implying about a you know, 15% chance that this deal breaks. I think that is still a pretty significant possibility. So I'd be a punter if I was long the stock here. I'd basically take the gains this week and walk away. Yeah, uh, I really like that short vol setup. I mean, ultimately, anytime there's a cash takeout, you just want to make sure that you're not caught long volatility because it is going to collapse to zero because that's the implied volatility of cash and the realized volatility despite what we've seen in the Dixie. On the downside, I do think, sure, if you want to spend like some a small modicum of premium to bet that this deal crashes. I would say the risk reward sets up very well, but you're, it's likely to be a loser. Mm. Carter, what do you think? What does the chart look like? I mean, yeah, the chart uh, implies a completion of the deal. Uh, mm. You can see here we might have it, but uh, as drawn, you know, it's a normal flag. You get that heavy volume thrust, news related, of course, deals on, and this lilting pullback to 49.18. Ultimately, I think we uh, head towards 54.55. All right. Next up, Hess, up nearly 18 percent this week alone. Uh, Carter, how does this one look? Well, talking about sometimes you can use the word uptrend or steady she goes or maybe even godlike. Uh, Hess is just up and to the right, orderly, uh, a nice ascent. Godlike? Did you just use that word yeah. godlike? When it ca- I feel like you've only <laughs> yeah, used that, yeah. that word a couple times, like maybe UNH, you've used godlike. A times, that's right. It's, right, uh, and then what else? The Chenier maybe Energy, maybe godlike? For the market, but it, it's, it's as close to uh, godlike as one might see in the charts. 
Wow. Okay. Um, let's get to Chewy here. Also doing well at more than 17% this week. Bonawin. Yeah, I mean, I think except for this one is interesting. I'm not particularly constructive of the name. I do think on a relative basis versus consumer discretionary, it is a, lit, a little bit more sticky. Um, if I'm going to play the long side, it's definitely via options, but I'm likely going to spread this because ultimately I don't want the massive cash lay that being outright vol in this environment after today is likely going to cost me. All right, let's get to DraftKings. That was up nearly 9% on the week. Mike? Yeah, so this is an interesting case. They obviously had some positive news, talking about a collaboration there with ESPN. Of course, I don't like long-duration equity, and that's what this thing is. It's not making a lot of money yet. So if I was going to play it for the upside, I, like Bonwood, would probably only do so using something like call spreads or maybe even call spread risk reversals, because I think that news does at least create some floor. Yeah. Uh, Carter, what do you think of, of DraftKings? It's not godlike. I mean, I'm just going to venture no, out on a limb and say it's not. it's more to some of those other bearish to bullish reversals we look at the top of the hour, meaning dropped 85%, but it's, it's a week over week, month over month. Price action is very developmental. All right. Uh, let's get to Nike. This is a good one. Up 5% this week. Carter? Uh, talk about down and to the right. It's the opposite of Hess, and uh, I don't see any reason to own the stock. Bono, what do you think of Nike? Um, in the short term, it's challenging. It's one that I've mentioned that it's on my watch list. It's a name that I've been wanting to get long for a while. I think, you know, it's going to be challenging in the short term, but there are specific names that I think will hold up and have stood the test of time. Nike fits that bill. Yeah. Mike, was there a lot of activity and what did that activity to you indicate? Yeah, we actually owned this stock and I put that in the past tense. I'm done with it. Don't do it would be what I would say. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is this is not one you want to own here. I, I think what we saw this was a little bit of relief after a really poor performance. That's the reason we got this bounce. But I don't think it's going to last. All right. Up next, final call. Final call time. Carter Worth. Markets in a precarious position. Short SPY. Bono and Eisen. IWM high high beta lever downside. Mike Coe. Take advantage of high options premium by selling vertical spreads with limited risk. All right. That does it for us here on Options Action. Have a great weekend. We'll be back here next Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern Time. Meantime, do not go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.